Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome to another episode of Shared History. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to History Street? Oh, I like changed keys like right in the, I want to do that again. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to History Street? That wasn't very good either. (laughs) I don't know what happened there. I mean, aside from the key, I still thought it was delightful. It was fun. It was bouncy, and it made me smile. It made me smile, and also made me think about how you can get to History Street, which I think is just, like, backwards. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're reading about the past. You're going backwards. Yeah, Yeah. perfect. We we answered our own question. We did it. As we often do. All right, and that's the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's the end of Shared History. We answered it all. We told you how to get to History Street. We don't have anything else we need to share with you. Oh, shoot, Natalie, we've got a guest. Oh. We have have an amazing guest today. She is a practitioner of software law. She studied American history and American history law in college, which makes her far more qualified to host a show than us. Everybody, Marie Salter, Esquire. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm here to talk about nothing related to anything I studied. But well, it just gives it just like when you were like, oh, yeah, I studied, you know, American history and American history law. I'm like, God damn it. But also, yes, because we <laughs> suck at American history. So she's going to know all the things. But and at least I know how us. to do the history. You can <laughs> do the history doing takes work. The history. <laughs> you are accredited in doing the history also i just i feel like if i were a lawyer i would put esquire on everything and insist that people called me esquire i do it when i want to be an asshole so (gasps) i never do it at work but like when my old downstairs neighbor was trying to send me fake alderman letters about my dog they got a letter signed esquire (laughs) oh yeah yes like that's the ultimate power move right there (laughs) also just sounds like you should be tipping a fancy cap, old time. Yeah, I, I keep my cap on hand just for, you know, <laughs> tipping purposes. Yes, yes. I also love it because like you practice, you, okay, you had to study all law, but you practice software law, which means mm-hmm. that that is what you are most current in and most, and probably feel the most confident. Definitely. To yeah. And practicing. So I love, but I love, as somebody who comes from a family of like lawyers, I love whenever a lawyer is like, yeah, I'm just going to slap Esquire on it as like a power move. But it's like, please do not ask me a legal question about this. I, oh, absolutely. I practice uh, real estate law. So please do not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that that was more well known, that lawyers don't really know anything outside of like the like 0.5 things we do all day. So but someone will come to me and be like, I got a parking ticket. Like, enjoy it. That sucks. Yeah, it must really suck for you. I'm so sorry. See, but I wish that all lawyers would admit that. (laughs) Because we all know a lawyer that's like, that speaks as though they know everything. And then only when they're like, okay, but I like really don't. (laughs) Like, 
like to those that are closest with to them like my blood okay my mother practiced real estate law and i love her she has not practiced since i was born i think and or she started working from home and then she stopped practicing shortly after i was born that doesn't matter what matters (laughs) is that she has not practiced law in nearly 30 years and god bless her if I don't still send her contracts just to read because she can read. She She's good at reading contracts. She knows the language. Yeah. yeah. And so I'll like uh, tell her to look over something and God bless her. She always has an opinion on it. And I always listen because I'm like, you at least read this closer than I did. Well, it's I mean, I hate to be that lawyer that comes in and was like, we actually do know everything right after you said that. But in law school, like they don't really teach you how to do any practice area. So you don't learn like useful day to day stuff, but you learn how to speak this weird foreign language of contracts and you learn the stupid rules. Um, I mean, the really good rules, American Bar Association, of which I am a member. <laughs> we'll blurb that part Great out. rules. Good <laughs> rules. Important rules. 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, my mom doesn't my mom doesn't come in like, I know I know everything, but but she she'll usually be like, OK, I mean, this wasn't my area that I practiced in. And also, I haven't been in law school for a very long time. But yeah, sure. I'll look at it. <laughs> she's just always like, she's always like, you're my daughter and I don't want you to sign a shitty contract. So like, I'll look at it. I'm like, thanks. you. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we all have that little like that shit's not right button in the back that we can use. It's like and we can't provide anything helpful, but we can say that shit's not right. Yep. That's Check all I want. Check out section B clause 12. <laughs> just give me the red flag button. That's all I need. That's all I need from you. Um, Marie, so you you studied American history and you mm-hmm. studied American history law as well, correct? Yeah. So in undergrad, I studied um, American history at WashU and I did my thesis on um, colonial America and colonial um, societies and the ways in which health practitioners interacted with those societies. So I talked about midwives and um you know healers and then the introduction of doctors were involved with some of the witchcraft trials it was you know a hundred something pages of a lot of maybe nonsense but it was cool um and based focused a lot in um like medical history american medical history and how people dealt with things like that when they didn't know what germs were and didn't know how things spread so were you, would you say that American history has always been kind of your like default or like, I really like history and I'm going to go to this, this section of the library? So it wasn't until my junior year of high school. I thought it was really stupid and there wasn't that much to it. And so I was like, Europe is king. Let's do Europe. Let's go talk about kings and queens. And then I had to say a... Europe, Europe was literally king. Yeah, so. they were king. They were running the show. Like, let's go with the people that own most of the planet at this point um and then shout out mr burke i had a really good ap american teacher and after that i was just like yep this is what i'm doing let's stick with this stuff um i need to stop you right there because you just pulled a natalie and shouted out one of your high school teachers (laughs) which we love listeners at home if you're still playing the drinking game which we forgot about kind of take a drink for um a high school history teacher here's to mr burke everyone hey mr burke the drinking game isn't for us to remember right it's for us to forget by because we play it yeah poor mr burke i i feel like i need to share this with the whole world we just like to mess with him and so his name was tim burke and so if he wasn't in the room when we all got in there we'd set up all our pencils on their ends and then when he came in we'd all let them drop and yell tim because we were a bunch of assholes. <laughs> oh my god, I love that so much. 
I'm I'm all for I am all for innocently like just like screwing with your teachers. <laughs> just like dumb little dumb little oh, classroom yeah. bits. <laughs> dumb little classroom bits get me all the time. I feel like they're a form of love. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. I literally I I would keep um for some of my favorite teachers I I would keep uh like a quote journal basically in the back of my oh. notebook of just like weird shit that they said when explaining anything and I and I I'm pretty sure that the reason that I've held on to some of the uh, history notebooks from high school that I have yeah. is because they have some some hot takes. <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got a note in my phone that's just bits that I just write down things I've heard people say like that needs to be in something or I at least need to remember it for always. My husband used to just tweet those. Uh, and he's, <laughs> he's like, I wish that I kept doing that so that somewhere we just had a Twitter feed of the dumb. And they're all the, they're just dumb things I say of just the dumb <laughs> shit that I've said. You can probably see me on my phone right now because a friend recently put on their Instagram something about like, what's the weirdest note you have in your phone that you can't explain anymore? And I found one that was so concerning and I'm sure it was funny when I wrote it down, but it was... I'll have weird shit in there and then I'll Google it and I'm like, oh, that's a book. Okay. (laughs) So I found it. So the note is titled Grandma and all it says is dead, dead. Oh, George is alive. I wonder if his wife is. What was happening when I wrote that down? I don't know, but slap a sick beat behind that. <laughs> oh, I've got, oh no, I, I can't say that one. It's too embarrassing. Okay, I'm going to say it. Oh, this is so bad. <laughs> it was just it was just one that I pulled up to. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do anything with this, but this is funny. Um, Queefer Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> wait. Kiefer is his actual name, right? Yeah, Kiefer. Kiefer Sutherland. I was like, I can't even remember the real name. Like, I don't know what I'm going to... I'm not going to do anything with that. Um, I have <laughs> I have one... I'm trying to find if I have a particularly nonsensical one. Uh, oh, here's a good one. A mistress, but it's a dude. Is it a mattress? I don't know what it means. <laughs> and I got one more. I got one more. Uh, oh, sorry, is- Nat. This is a great game. I love it. <laughs> we should do a whole podcast of this. Wait, wait. I have one that just says, tagless shirts just make it harder to get dressed in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's 100% true. I hate Very tags true. on shirts, but I feel like I'm always trying to get dressed, like wake up in the middle of the night or something. I'm like, I, the shirt is on upside down. How do I get it upside down and inside out? Okay. Um, I'm just picturing the sleeves just tied around your waist. <laughs> Like, it's an off the shoulder look. It's like a reverse crop top. It's not working for me. <laughs> Everything's okay. covered but my shoulders and my tits. <laughs> the tatas are out. <laughs> um, so Nat, you'll appreciate this. Uh a Kansas cover band called Iowa. <laughs> I also I appreciate that. I mean hate. <laughs> I mean, but also appreciate it. I, I also will say that I have a, a note that breaks down the characters of A Christmas Carol if they were <laughs> the animals in my house and in my families and like my family's <laughs> which I'm sure I wrote down at some point because we'll do really elaborate. We used to do uh, really elaborate like animated family Christmas cards uh, and I'm sure that's why I wrote it down but I refuse to delete it. <laughs> 
I know that I've looked at it and chosen not to delete it many times. So <laughs> Yeah, it's the ones in there where you're like, I know that I've seen this recently and yep. chose to keep it there. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm so glad that we went down this road. Normal uh normally we would ask our we sometimes ask our guests if they like actually like history, but if you if you studied it in college, if you chose to st- study it, I think we've established that you enjoy history. Yeah, or maybe you're just very masochistic. Oh, that's it. No, that <laughs> would have been math. Um, no, <laughs> I was a history nerd from a young age. Like I was one of those kids who saw Titanic and was upset that it wasn't more about the history of the ship. It's like, I don't need to see these two people fucking in a car. Like, I want to know about the ship. I love how you said one of those kids. Like, there's a lot of them. (laughs) I mean, I had the the Titanic PC game where you basically were, like, exploring the ship. Uh, And I remember watching all of the, all of, like, the the specials and whatnot after that movie was made that, like, Discovery Channel and History Channel did that were, like, uh, deep sea expeditions. Yeah, from when they went down in the little pods. Yeah, I remember. I had, and I did not realize that this was weird until I rediscovered it as an adult. I had a Titanic board game. Yes, I had that too. Which, like, I remember loving that game. It was so much fun. There were so many things you had to do. And then I had a board game night like a few years ago. I was like, oh, let's let's play Titanic. And they're like, excuse me? I was like, oh, it's this great <laughs> board game. And we like set it out and I'm reading the rules. It's like, so you have to get like, you have to get your passport. You have to get your life vest. You have to get your key, all this stuff before you can get to the place. And then you can get on the boat. And, and they're like, Cast- you have to steal somebody's child and pass it off <laughs> as your own. I have a child. They're like, Cass, what happens if you don't make it on the boat? I was like, well, then you lose. Like you die. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> and looking back on it, not super. That shit was a little racist. Like some of the character cards, I'm like, oh, no. I remember that. Yeah. It Maybe was... I've just like wiped that part from my memory. I think I did too. Because then I pulled out the cards. I was like, no, we can't. Like they're like speaking in phonetic, like in accents. Oh, not great. No, no bueno. Why no was bueno. that massive tragedy such like a hot topic when we were younger? Like. Thousands of people died. Was it, it was just because great. the movie came out and so everyone wanted to capitalize on it? Or was people just super like, hey, Titanic, let's make a movie about it because everyone's talking about it again? I can't remember if I'm right on this, but I'm going to pretend that I'm right. Mm-hmm. I think that they found it when we were kids. Like, I'm 33. I think they found it when I was, like, young. Say it with confidence and I'll believe you. I know the that they found Google. the Titanic when I was 8.75 years old. Okay, okay. In 1985, the wreck was officially located by a joint French-American expedition. So I was negative two when it was located. But I think like those, I think the little pod things. Yeah, that was later. Yeah. And James Cameron, I think he had that in production for quite a long time. So I'm sure that's what sparked that. Yeah, I bet they found it. And then he was like, and I would like to option the rights to this story. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like the movie was just like an excuse for him to be like, I'm going to get in a little pod and go down to the Titanic as I've always wanted to. I mean, don't we all? Like, wouldn't you like to be the one who (laughs) discovers the heart of the ocean? And then bring it back to Britney Spears. She needs it. She deserves it. I thought that old lady dropped it in the sea. (laughs) Well, I went down there and got it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I made a sketch about Billy Zane. And I, I saw just, it. <laughs> just Billy. 
And I did a lot of research and there was a lot of Titanic references and there was a purple onesie for, he was in the movie, The Phantom. Did it address his confusing Zoolander cameo? No, but I mentioned it. <laughs> it was a sketch. It was this girl who went to Comic-Con because she's obsessed with Billy Zane. And so like he ends up not coming and she like loses her shit. But in the That's beginning, amazing. it's like Billy Zane who had a cameo in, Al- or in Zoolander. <laughs> And just all of these dumb little things that no one cares about except me. <laughs> and Billy Zane. And, and Billy Zane. Zane. That's also, but this comedy. isn't about him. <laughs> it's not about him after this. Google young Marlon Brando and young Billy Zane and prepare to have your mind blown. Billy Zane is actually supposed to play Marlon Brando in a movie that's coming out eventually soon. Maybe. I don't know. Ooh, and auto-completed. Now, it's not. <laughs> auto-completed it, right? Yeah, that means it's legit. It's bizarre. Um, oh yeah okay yeah yeah so now it's not about them (laughs) no 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 but minimizing billy zane (laughs) but cass and i cass and i don't know what it's about because we don't know what you brought for us today marie that's exciting well today we're going to be talking about the children's crusades what yes now some people a little easter egg might know that this is also the name of a civil rights movement by children in the 60s but we're not talking about that we're talking about the literal children's crusades in 1212 what children be crusading (laughs) children be crusading probably all right i love a big old asterisk in history (laughs) my favorite it's my favorite asterisk and i feel like anytime you're talking about the middle ages you're talking about that asterisk because who knows what they were doing like they weren't writing shit down they were doing weird shit no, and like the places that we typically study in our history, like we tend to be very very Eurocentric. Those weren't the places where like learning and writing were happening in the Middle Ages. So it feels like this vast empty period when really you just like pop over to the Middle East and a lot is happening. It pisses me off so much when the Dark Ages, mm. people say that because they think the whole world was in darkness. It's like, no, it was just Europe. They were yep. like... <laughs> trouncing around in mud while people over in Persia and the Middle East were like doing they were, math and shit and science. Yeah, they were like inventing math and we were like rolling in pig shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like there's, you even look at like the history of Europe in that time and there's a reason for shit like that. It's because, you know, we had this very like local centric form of government where there was, you know, a local lord and the way that he controlled the people around him. And so there really wasn't that like broader series of minds that could do the kind of stuff that they were doing in Africa, in the Middle East. Anyway, I got a lot of feelings on the Middle Ages and the way that we study them. Rightfully so. But I think when you think Middle Ages, you probably think Crusades because that was a big part of it. So of course, these are, you know, your armed military campaigns. For spiritual reason, you get up your religious fervor and you go head to the Holy Land, you know, like we still do a lot today. So just to like get us set in history for the Children's Crusade, we had already done Crusades 1 and 2 at this point. And then in 1187... <laughs> yeah, Sorry, that Crusades just made it sound one. like a Star Wars sequel. <laughs> Crusades 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> and then we had uh, Return of the Muslim World, I guess, because Saladin, who was a big figure um, in Middle Eastern history, in 1187 he recaptured Jerusalem for the Muslim world. And so this was, of course, very upsetting to the popes and everyone who listened to them. But 
Saladin was kind of a BFD and he was very difficult to defeat. He was one of the few people that actually had like united power in that area because it was usually, I'm forgetting the name for it, but that sort of passing down of power where it goes, you know, from father to the first son, it goes from father to all of his sons. And so it often gets chopped up into little bits. And Saladin did a really good job of kind of compacting all that power. So he was a really hard guy to beat. So in 1187, he takes over Jerusalem, he beats the Crusaders in a bunch of other cities, and the Third Crusade is just destructive to the Christian world. Like, they lose so badly. For context, this is the Crusade read, uh, led by Richard Leinhardt. So this is our Robin Hood time. We've got Richard off crusading, we've got poor John stuck back in England. His you know brother is funneling all the money to this failing crusade, and he's just like, well, I'm going to be the villain in a story one day. Can I just say, as you're saying all these characters, I'm just imagining the Fox version. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like Richard Lionheart and then uh, poor John, who's just this like wilted little little lion. It's a skew crown. Sir Hiss with the snake. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I weird side note here. I'm convinced that the song Viva La Vida by Coldplay is about Prince slash King John at that point. I'm going to need to hear more about this. Yeah, I got a whole theory. I don't know if you want it now or you want it later. <laughs> that'll, be a compl- that'll be a... Uh, it's a totally different podcast. Go to our bonus. Patreon It's listeners. a bonus episode. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of the time period we're in, right? It's like it's Robin Hood time. People in England are getting kind of upset because they're poor and they're hungry and all the money is going to this absolutely failing crusade. And then Richard dies and everyone blames his brother. And then Saladin dies in 1193. So... At that point, you know, the Third Crusade has happened, the Fourth Crusade has happened, they were bad, and then Saladin is dead, so there's trouble over there. And so everyone just kind of takes a pause for a little while. Like, we don't need to battle over the Holy Lands, let's deal with our own shit for a while. Yeah, they're like, can we, let's, like, can we, can we just like, take a, like, a time out? Just like a little time out? A little bit. Just, just, just regroup. We need God to take a time out. Most of our team has been murdered. <laughs> <laughs> and even the Pope himself was like, over it after the fourth crusade because there was stuff like the sack of constantinople which is just these supposedly holy crusaders going in and then just like raping and pillaging and so the pope even the pope who's like i really want to take the holy land it's like guys let's regroup do we less need to, <laughs> have a talk yeah, we and then we'll get a, back to it we need to realign on some of our branding points <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a branding meeting guys Hey, Nat, can we make this quick? I have to go check on my sponge. Your sponge? Ugh, you've been binging Bake Off again, haven't you? Four words. Paul Hollywood Soggy Bottom. Okay, well, when you're done with Amateur Hour, the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ECBG Cake Studio, because they make specialty cakes for all occasions. We're talking custom birthday cakes. We're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking Paul Hollywood just shook my hand, I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you said? Yes, and if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. So that's 
kind of where we're at when the Children's Crusades happen. Is crusading has been happening for a while, but it's been really unsuccessful lately. And then there's this chunk of time where the Pope is not calling for crusades. But you've got all these people who got all worked up by this, you know, religious fervor that they're supposed to hold the Holy Land and they're supposed to be there. And it's a sin for, you know, Muslim nations to be holding Jerusalem. And so all of this is kind of simmering and the church isn't doing anything. So 1212 is kind of when it all explodes. We have two different movements, one in Germany and one in France. They sound like they should be connected because, spoiler alert, they're almost exactly the same. But there aren't really any sources that connect them. So we don't know if they're just like two kids did the same thing. Just like a coincidence? Yeah. Like, once you hear it, I mean, it's pretty much like if I was 12 and I wanted to run a crusade, this is how I would do it. So maybe that's it. (laughs) So let's start in France. It's June of 2012, and we've got Stephen of Cloy, and he's a 12-year-old shepherd boy. And he's walking around the fields, and one day, a poor pilgrim supposedly comes up to him and preaches to him about the Lord and then gives him a letter to give to the king of France. And so Stephen of Cloy goes to all the people around him and says, you know, I'm Stephen of Cloy. I talked to the Lord, and (laughs) the Lord said crusade, and I said oui, and the Lord said oui, and so we crusade. So everyone's like, yep, that sounds super legit. Let's follow this 12-year-old. So a group of boys and girls, and maybe some older people, we don't really know. um, And I'll tell you guys in a little while why we don't know, because it's a fun linguistic thing. Um, So they gather around Stephen, and they march through the cities and villages, and they're singing religious songs, and they've got banners and candles, and those terrifying big metal things with incense in them that the priests have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shout out all my Catholics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what up? <laughs> what up? <laughs> Look, I feel like some people are going to be like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, cool. Whatever you say, 12-year-old. And to any naysayers there, I want to say, have you ever been talking to like your younger cousin or niece or nephew or babysitting and the kids just saying shit and you just you just want you just want to sit down for a minute you're sick of being helicopter or whatever you were playing and so you just say yes or if i'm the 12 year old i have a very thick speech impediment and you can't really fully understand what you're saying yes to (laughs) i'm just saying it's plausible and you know if i'm there just like herding my sheep around and i've really got this crusading fervor and this 12 year old comes up to me and's like let's do it i'm hitting the road now any yeah, excuse I might go for yeah. it also kind of keeping in mind like it's the middle ages in europe people 12 don't is like long. 30 yeah exactly <laughs> i mean most boys would have started working by 12 they would have been apprenticing somewhere or they would have been working at the church or they would have been working in the fields with their parents like a 12 year old is a grown-ass adult <laughs> period uh and he's probably taller than most people and he's out there with his incense like i believe him uh and they so him and his you know crew of other kids kept talking about they were going to god uh and so finally they went to the king of france philip and they're like hey we've got this letter for you we're crusading like give us a thumbs up and hopefully some money that's like like boy scouts like it's their Eagle Scout project. Ten candy bars so that we can go to the big turn, the big whatever, and and Philip is that letter. neighbor that closes the door on them. Good for him, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I don't need those terrible candy bars. The long, skinny ones are uh-huh. bad. Yeah, and Philip knew it, and so he was like, "No, go home." 
Um, you're a bunch of children. You're at my castle with your incense. Where did you get these, these incense? Yeah, did you sack <laughs> churches along the way? Like, I gotta talk to some priests if they gave these to you. This is precious metal. You can't write your own permission slip to crusade and then just ask me to sign it. <laughs> Unfortunately, although he didn't, they were like, but God signed it. So they kept going. Um, I guess the king was just a formality. And they were like, cool, we would have liked your money. But God said crusade, so we crusade. At this point, you know, they're not really sure how many people he had with him. There are some accounts that say a few thousand, 30,000, infinite multitudes. Could have been five. I don't know. It's the Middle Ages. You know, the sources aren't that great. And there are not a lot of concurrent sources for this. Like, most of them are written at least 10 to 20 years later or hundreds of years later. And they get kind of bigger and broader and crazier as they go along, of course. So I'm giving you everything, and then we'll talk about what is or is not true. So our guy, Stephen, and his crew continue on. They go to Marseille, and Stephen had been telling them, look, we're going to get to the coast, we're going to get to Marseille, and then I'm going to part the sea, and we're going to march to the Holy Land. Stephen? Yeah. Stephen went big. Big words, bro. And it did not go well for him because he got there and the sea did not part. Who'd have thunk? I was surprised myself. I was ready for the sea to part. Not as surprised as Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> He's picturing his like big Prince of Egypt moment and it just doesn't happen. Oh, it's... Prince of Egypt. That's oh, such a good movie. Be miracles. If you really... Okay. But not for Stephen. Not for Stephen. <laughs> not for Stephen. So about half of his people are like, hey, Stephen... The sea's not parting. We think you might be a liar. And so they go home. They don't all make it home. But, you know, they're 12. They're ready to go live their lives. So they probably set up life somewhere else. Some of them stay in Marseille. They're like, well, I got here. This is where I live now. But according to some sources, there were two merchants that came to the children and said, hey, we've got some ships. We will take you over to the Holy Land and we will bankroll this whole thing. So they're like, sweet, strangers in a bus. So they get on the ship. Strangers with money instead strangers of strangers with, with money. <laughs> They get on the ships and they head over and then no one hears from them again. About 30 years later, a guy comes back. He's a priest. He's coming from the Holy Land. And he says, hey, I was one of those kids. I was on those ships. And here's what happened. One of them uh, crashed off the coast of Sardinia and everybody in it died. Womp womp. And then the other one went to the Holy Land. But these guys were not actually trying to help them crusade. They just sold them all into slavery. And I, one of the few kids who was educated and could, you know, write a little bit, uh, happened to end up getting spotted by some Christians and they saved me from the slave market. And that's why I'm here to tell you the tale today. So kind of a rough story for all of these kids, if this is true. They either die at sea or they get shipped into slavery. Yeah, those if 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 that's if that's true, I, those guys at the ships were like, yeah, we'll give you a ride. Yeah. We're totally well-meaning merchants that are just <laughs> giving you money and ships. We have no capitalistic ulterior motives. We have no use for thousands of children. No. No. Uh, and we can assume that those children who were sold into slavery also had pretty short, rough, gross lives. So this one unfortunately ends with a lot of dead kids uh, and one priest. Uh, so maybe the king was right after all. So that was worded. Was, ah, a lot of dead kids. A lot of dead kids. I mean, <laughs> you start with Children's Crusade. You know where we're going. It's a so, lot of dead kids. Were they planning on fighting? Or was it just one of those of like, let's start walking there. 
we'll figure out what we're going to do when we're there. So that's a, that's a good question. And nobody's quite sure. Um, you know, they weren't soldiers. They didn't have weapons. But there was this kind of feeling at the time. And this is what you get with people like Joan of Arc, too. It's like religion was very present for them. And so they had this feeling that anyone could be a prophet. Anyone could do God's work. And so if God tells you to go to the Holy Land, you don't really stand around asking questions and figuring out what you're going to do. You just go to the Holy Land. And most of the records of Stephen's groups say that they're going to God. They don't even mention like, you know, we're going to take um, Constantinople or we're going to take Jerusalem. They just keep saying they're going to God. The sense is really that they didn't have much of a plan. The other group that we're going to talk about in a second, they had more of an idea of what they were doing. But these guys honestly were just heading to the sea. Um, I think they like were kind of pilgrimage. Exactly right. They were like swept up in this religious fervor. And I assume they probably figured that God would tell them what to do once they got there. Uh, because they were, you know, ordained by God to go do this. Because they're children and they're waiting for an adult to tell them what to do. <laughs> it's like one of those, like, trick tests they gave you in elementary school where you're supposed to read all the instructions first. <laughs> and if you don't, you've got all sorts of holes in your paper because the last one says, don't do anything else on this list. Yeah. Yeah. Except everything on the list was just, psych, you can't part the sea and you're going to be sold in slavery or drown. Well, you know, one of those tests we all took <laughs> of in elementary school. Well, and then there's another, you know, question that historians have, which is how much of this is a real story and how much of this is a parable designed by the church to basically consolidate power, to tell people like, you can't do this on your own. You know, crusading can't be a people's movement where you just decide to do it. The Pope needs to tell you to do it. Your priests need to organize it and then we can do it together. So, you know, perhaps they just marched around France and then went home and nothing bad happened to them. And the part that says they died horribly is just the church saying, see what happens when you don't listen to us. This and is why we need a planned permission slip before we go on field trips. Exactly. And chaperones that are at least 14. <laughs> that's that's interesting because like you did need papal permission for almost anything. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like there are I'll watch old movies or TV shows or whatever set in that period. Also, they're all fiction, so they might not be real. But everything's <laughs> like, we can't do this thing. We need papal approval first. And I'm like, just like, go get some milk from Live the store. Yeah. <laughs> and both of these children's crusades were explicitly not approved by the Pope. Uh, he was not on board. I think it was Innocent the first or second. I don't know. I can't remember the order of Popes. Um, sorry. Uh, for, for listeners, I was looking up to God and saying sorry because I'm Catholic and that's what I do most of the time. Uh, but, but he was very, like, not on board with this. He did not want a bunch of, you know, ragamuffin children marching to the Holy Land and then getting killed because that is bad PR for the church. So why don't we talk about Germany? So the French... The, the, the French, to Germany. So the French just flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll know it when we see it. We'll know it when we hear it. Yeah, and Germany. then they all die. Yeah, Germany have so Germany. Germans make plans. They make plans exactly. Like Germans have to know what they're doing, and the Germans' children, the German children, were like, "Hey, we're going to go to the Holy Land, but we recognize that we are a herd of children. So <laughs> a herd, <laughs> a whole herd of children. We are a murder of children." <laughs> 
And we're not here to fight. We're not going to be good at it. We're going to get killed. It's not going to go well. So we're going to go to the Holy Land. And with our sweet little German angel faces, we are going to convert all the Saracens to Christianity. And that's how we're going to take the Holy Land. We're not going to kick them gonna, out. We're going to make them Christians. They're just going to puppy dog face everyone. They're going to puppy dog them. Little Nicholas of Cologne and his gang are going to cross the Alps, then head to the Holy Land and be like, hey, guys. Have you heard about this guy, Jesus? I'm getting very Oliver Twist vibes from the French kids and very like Von Trapps from the Germans. It's just like, we will sing you a song and we'll be happy about it. And we'll climb over some mountains. It's like the young life version of crusading. Like they come out and they're like, we're going to be hip and cool. And we're going to get everyone to like God. We're going to jam on an acoustic guitar and make each other friendship bracelets uh, for Jesus. But it's Jesus an awesome is our God friend. he reigns from, from heaven above. <laughs> oh, God. That's uh, great. We uh, are some sort of youth something or clearly for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, a dark, you know, part of my childhood that needs dealing with. <laughs> so their crusade. Yeah. So they've got a plan. It still doesn't go well. So I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, see Supra children. So Nicholas of Cologne is another shepherd and the same thing happens. And my German accent is not as wonderful as my French accent. But he's like, hey, like the Lord came down. And I think your German accent is your French accent. <laughs> yeah. Accent's pretty yeah, that's French. just my wonderbar. There we go. <laughs> now it's German. Germany and France share a border. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> But German children, I think, are a little less gullible than French children in 1212. So he's on his way, and he's got a little bit of, like, a weirder trip. He has to go to the harbor in Genoa, and, like, they've got to somehow go over the Alps. And a big chunk of oh, no, no, no. He's just going to part the Alps. It'll be fun. <laughs> you know, he should have thought of that, because he, too, says he's going to part the sea when he gets to Genoa. Uh, and I mean, it historically, happened. historically, the Alps have been super easy to cross for yeah, any sort it of It always goes really well. Group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hadrian loved it. Uh, <laughs> 10 fan. out of 10 would cross again. Uh, <laughs> so unsurprisingly, two thirds of his group of children die on the way to the harbor in Genoa. So he's already down a bunch of kids. And he gets there and surprisingly, the sea does not part. Shocker. Damn, that sea just not it performing not as it. expected. <laughs> you know, I have beef with these medieval churches because I know that the medieval peasants weren't reading the Bible for themselves, which means the church was just telling them the same stories over and over again because there are a lot of other miracles they could have performed and they all picked parting the sea. Yeah, they didn't try to walk on the sea. No. Just parting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but these are 12, 13-year-olds and they're not trying to turn water into wine. Right? Come on. And they're starving. Like, it's <laughs> practical, too. This is a oh. real, this is, this situation calls for a loaves and fishes situation. That and would yet, have been the first miracle I would have done. Yep. I would Gotta have had so many snacks. loaves. Gotta pack some snacks. <laughs> All the loaves. Give me some wine. Let's but party. No, every Sunday they're like, let's talk about parting the sea again. So it's all they know. So they're like, yeah, of course I'm going to do that one. That's I guess Cass, one. Cass is saying that she would have talked about partying the sea. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm what's wrong with America. 
And so they get to Genoa. The sea doesn't part. And the Germans are not having it. They are not as nice about it as the French kids. Most of them think that Nicholas is a faker and the devil. And so they, like, abandon him and they say that he's evil. A few of them just end up kind of living and working in Genoa. And then uh, Nicholas himself is like, psych, the sea is going to part, but it's not going to part here. We got to keep going. So him and, like, the five people that still believe him head over to Pisa. And in Pisa, the sea does not part again. But there are some ships that they get on and they go to the Holy Land. And the story ends there. We don't ever hear back about what happened to them. Uh, At least those people's story ends there. Nicholas is still wilding out. He's ready to get this done. So he goes to meet the Pope, who is Innocent III, which I now know because I've gotten to that part of my notes. Uh, And Innocent (laughs) III. Reveal. There are three innocents. There might be more. Um, And I could guarantee that a Pope at this time was not innocent. Also, it's a crusade of children. So there's a lot of there's a lot of innocence within the parade of children happening. (laughs) There's a lot there. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. Uh, but Innocent the Third, despite being the ideal poster kid for a children's crusade with that name, is not on board and tells him to go home. And so Nicholas's big concern here was that he had taken a crusader's vow. And a crusader's vow was something that anyone who was crusading did. They, they vowed themselves to the Pope's army, basically. And they couldn't stop crusading until either they died or won or were released from their crusader's vow. But he, uh, what, But they never actually, like, the Pope didn't want them. Exactly. So Nicholas shows up and is like, I vowed, I can't stop. And the Pope is like, to who? Go home. (laughs) Leave, child. And the Crusader's vow wasn't something that you could do until you were like 14, I think. So it it didn't even apply to him. Wait, it was like like an actual like oath, like an actual binding vow. A binding vow. Yeah, Yeah, but Nicholas's Nicholas's so-called vow is riddled with loopholes take the loopholes you're fine nobody has a contract for you he's an actual child who can't sign a contract he didn't sign a contract the pope didn't know about it the pope is telling him to go home there's a lot of problems but the pope i guess has worked with kids before so it's like okay honey i release you from your vow like (laughs) you've done good work go and then there's a few things that might have happened to Nicholas. So most people think that he dies coming back across the Alps. Uh, There is a monastery somewhere in the Alps that claims that he stayed there, became a holy man, and eventually went on to fight in later crusades in Egypt. Uh, And then some people think that he may have actually gone over to the Holy Land at that time and just died in crusades then, or fake crusades that are not, you know, supported by the Pope. Uh, so that's the end of Nicholas's story. More homegrown, story. homegrown crusades. Yes, uh, build your own crusade. Yeah. Um, and the Germans, again, being a little more with it than the French on this, decide to take it out on his father. 
So his father is hung by the angry families of all these dead children. Shit. Which, rude but fair. Like, stop your son from stealing our children. Yeah. How dare you have a very charismatic son? Here's the thing. Like, just start a cult. Do another charismatic Right. Do a local cult. Like, you don't have to travel across the Alps. Maybe go a little ways into them and start a farm. Yeah. Have a commune. Yeah. And a couple of wives. Poison their mead. They all have to go with you. Yeah. Get Get some Nikes. And people would have been totally into that at the time. Like, cults were basically mainstream religion in the middle ages everyone felt very aggressively about their faith and killed people for it a lot and they're all still relatively new and figuring out like what's our costume gonna be should we swing around these big metal incense-y things that sounds cool yeah like are we happy about it or do we need to like whip ourselves like what are we doing here I mean, you get even, like, the Luddites who got mad at the printing press and created a whole cult around, like, hating modernity. Like, people were wild back then. Start a cult. It would go so well. Well, that's the thing, too, about, uh, like, Stephen of Cloy when you said that he just was like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I mean, I feel like back then, you talk about all the saints and whatnot, all you had to have was, like, a few rose petals fall on your face or something. It's like, I'm a saint now. You guys, like, I was thirsty and I came upon a babbling brook and, like, I'm I'm a saint. Like, that was God. And everyone's like, whoa, totally. And really, unless you're out there, like, aggressively disagreeing with the mainstream church, if you tell people God spoke to you, they're going to believe you. Yeah. Because God's active. Yeah. And then as soon as we find out, like, you can't part of see, like, now you're Satan. Yeah. Like, one or the other, black or white, no in between. Yeah. Well, because, and I, I sort of get that, right? Like, if I think somebody is a saint and they use my faith to drag me and my friends across the Alps and a bunch of us die and then nothing happens, like, that's the devil right there. Like, you're not a good guy. Yeah, that's not neutral. That's Ugh. the devil. <laughs> do you think, do you think at one point, like, Stephen and Nicholas, like, really thought very well intentioned and then they get halfway through they're like yo i think i fucked up but i'm in over my head (laughs) they're too far into it that they're like yeah let's keep going i I never thought i'd make it all the time i wonder this all the time even about other holy figures like i brought up joan of arc like do you think she hit a point where she was like oh this is i wanted an army but yikes and how like how could you not if you're halfway across the alps most of your followers have died and the people that are there are starving and they're like but nicholas god is still telling us to do this right like of course you would doubt yourself yes fan like we're totally in the we're we're in the clear we're good we're also and, Sven, you're from Sweden. Why are you why are yes. you here in the Alps? Sven, why have you found your way here? <laughs> <laughs> are you from the French crusade and you've just popped over? Sven was a eat every one of them. He yes. just a tourist a regular. to the crusades. He had a punch card. <laughs> um, so those are the two stories, right? And they're interesting and they're cool. And so they get blown out of proportion. And really all we know for sure is that these two people said that they heard from God that they should go on some sort of holy journey. And then we know for sure that they got to the port cities they got to. 
And everywhere, everything beyond that and everything kind of around that is just question mark. Is it real or is it just, you know, something that was added to the story to make it more interesting and more holy as time went along? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I don't think there was a real commitment to nonfiction sourcing at this time. And if it was a religious story and you could make it a little more jazzy, that was even better. Um, And then there are other questions that come up, like, were these actually children? So... In the Middle Ages, there was, you know, a way that people would split up lives into basically four major parts, and there were age ranges that were associated with them. And then the church was like, cool, this makes sense. Let's take this and we'll apply it to society. So we'll create kind of a caste system out of it. So there's some sources that think that these people weren't actually young. They were just poor. Um, And that this was kind of an overlap of, like, the church saying, like, oh, well, if you're, like, a, a... laborer or a no-wage worker, you're young because you have no lands, you have no inheritance, so you fall into that, like, metaphorical younger class. And there are some references to the Crusaders, like, leaving their plows and carts and their flocks and heading on to the Crusades. So if you have plows and flocks and all that, you might not be a child. You might just be poor. Yeah. Um, But children are a more interesting narrative, and they're a less problematic narrative because like at this point the church had been just aggressively failing at organizing these crusades and they whipped people up into this fervor and they told them they needed the holy land and then they failed over and over again so if the children's crusades are actually just crusades by the lower classes then this is a whole people's movement that doesn't need the church's approval and that's scary not to me but to them yeah yeah the uh catholics are traditionally very into control (laughs) yeah and they're very into maintaining that strict social class so Mm -hmm. a bunch of peasants asking the king or the pope depending on what country if they can crusade getting told no and still doing it is not a good look for the for the church yeah that's scary that's like what if they decided that if they decided they didn't need the pope or the king for this what if they just decide they don't need the king or the pope (gasps) poor poor people can't be thinking for themselves (laughs) that's what leads to martin luther (laughs) and And he's got some theses (laughs) (laughs) about 95 of them to be precise um so that makes me think of joan of arc Mm -hmm. because she went before the king too you know she was just like i'm this poor peasant girl I've got, you know, ideas like we should attack, um, where was it that she was going to attack? Lyon? Something. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Rhineland. It's always the Rhineland. (laughs) Typical Rhineland. Um, And he was like, no, and then she did it anyways, and she was burnt for heresy as a witch. But that's another, thinking back on a lot of those saints from that time, especially if there was some sort of military aspect to it, it was a common person going to a lord, a king, Mm -hmm. being denied, and then being like, big ol' fuck you, I'ma do it anyway. And then everyone's kind of rallying around that, which is really interesting when you say that, like, almost trying to control the masses and the people. Yeah, and Joan is kind of even more interesting in that way because there was a chunk of time where she was supported by the monarchy. Like, they tested her and they, like, tortured her and they tried to get her to give up you know, saying that she had talked to God and she had talked to Mm -hmm. these saints and she didn't. And then 
she actually won some battles. And so they're like, cool, this is our girl. We like her. And then she overstretched. She said that God told her to do a battle that kind of didn't go well. And that's when they turned on her. It's like they were okay with her as long as she was to their benefit. But you can always, and especially if it's a woman, you can always turn around and say they're a heretic. Um, and this is something... was such an easy cop out back uh, then. <laughs> and, and it lasted for so freaking long. Like, yeah. I, you know, I told you guys I studied colonial history. Like, one thing I looked at a lot was um, the rise of standardized medicine and the way that, um, that uh, herbal healers and spiritual healers and things like that, who are mostly women, were dealt with. And a lot of these witchcraft trials, you see doctors testifying against them because it's like they're ha- they have to eliminate the women the to create the establishment yep. yeah yeah it's the we talked about um brujas in uh latin america and, and the caribbean in one of our episodes mm-hmm. and the standardization of medicine it, it was really kind of sexist of typical like healers not your scientific we're reading this out of book whatnot mm-hmm. um we're the majority of of practitioners medical whatever yeah. and then as soon as they start to standardize they start demonizing women they start pushing them out and and kind of poo-pooing their practices like oh you're just throwing some concoction together that's not real that's yep. bad for you and it's not like at this period in time these doctors knew any better like they were just bleeding yeah. people or cutting they're into their skulls. Playing from the, they're working with the same flavor. Exactly. <laughs> like they're stealing bodies because they're not allowed to dissect. Like it was a crazy time where there was not oh, a lot geez. of medical knowledge, but it was still, you know, quote unquote, better than the people that had been maintaining these communities. Yeah. It seems like also. It seems like part of the problem with the way that they went about the crusades the these the alleged children crusades and also similarly with Joan of Arc is that it's a it's a real uh ask for forgiveness not for permission i wonder if they had gone that route if it would have been worse for them than if they had <laughs> because what they did is they asked for permission they didn't get it and they did say nah fuck that we're going to do it anyway mm-hmm. do you this is complete conjecture. We could pull this out of our ass all day, but it's like, do we think it would have been better or worse in the eyes of like the church and, uh, and the, the King and like the Lords, if they just like went about it and then, and then we're like, oops, we forgot to ask you to sign our permission slip. (laughs) Or if that's still like considering the con- the idea that they might have just actually been like the working class mm-hmm. would that have been more or less scary for yeah, leadership if they had just done question. it because like to consider that we have to create a world in which a decent amount of them made it back right fair which never happened so nope. the church was able to just be like well we didn't endorse this there's a bunch of dead children it's over but you know let's say they went and they recaptured Jerusalem and then they called up the Pope on whatever they called up in in those days and were like we got it it's our city Pope would 100% cash that check oh yeah I talked to God and he told me about this and I was on board the whole time 
Or God told me to say no to see if they could really do it themselves. But to I see knew the they, whole time. See if they wanted it enough. <laughs> it's a it's don't don't think about it too much. It makes sense. I'm cool. And that's so easy to do in a world where information doesn't travel quickly and it doesn't travel um, protected. So, you know, it's like playing a game of telephone across the whole country. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's literally what history this far back is and yeah. history through all of time is. It's it's whoever had the best PR or whoever got the word out first or like. Yep. And that is a big section. I, you know, I'm learning this as I research stuff like this of medieval history these days is historians trying to go back and take things that we think are accepted records and really pick them back apart and say, are we relying on sources that we can rely on? Or are we relying on things that have no backup and these could easily be myths? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a really good article on the Children's Crusades that's basically kind of taking these stories apart and bringing it down to how little we know about them, which is basically just that they definitely happened. There was a group of people, they were poor they might have been children and it didn't go well well and that just highlights how important it is if you want to study history study history accurately or dig deeper like you need to study linguistics because mm -hmm. like the one tiny word change can change a lot of history mm -hmm. interpreting it incorrectly or finding out like not just what this one specific word means what are all the connotations around it? The connotations at that time, because they have now changed. Exactly. The connotations in that region, because it might be different from like whatever mm -hmm. the, like if these are smaller towns, their language might be different than like the big, the big, the big middle-aged cities. The big, cities. <laughs> the big, the big like, shit piles. And how a much thousand... are we just like confirming things for ourselves? Like, yeah, you know, just if we have a source bias. in France that says, yeah, it's children, are we just assuming Germany was children too? Yeah. No. Ooh, that's true. Yeah, there's a single word that comes up in these texts. Um, it's a the Chronica Regia Colonisis. It's like a source that talks about a bunch of crusades and stuff. It was written in 1213, and it talks about. The Crusaders using the word, and I'm going to pronounce this terribly because I assume it's Latin, uh, puerti. And that's always been assumed to be age, but if you look in some context, it can be social class. So it's really coming down to that one word. Yeah. So, that's um, fascinating. A like, fun I, fact. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, we said it at the top. We love a big old asterisk, but like mm. I... I, I've researched a couple topics for the podcast before that I've gotten super jazzed about. And then you find that thing in the note where you're yep. like, but actually all of this could be untrue. Or like the part that I was thinking was most fascinating could be something completely different. And it's so difficult in that moment to be like, to be like, okay, I have to re-examine the other sources now. <laughs> And, and I have to re-examine why I want the story to be this one way. I think for some reason we find it easier with stuff like science and math to rewrite and say like, oh, we were wrong and we've now found that something different is true. And it's harder with, with history because it's our stories and it's, you know, how we understand ourselves as a human race. Like, it is hard to go back and rewrite that. I think it's, you know, we see it today when you see people who are so resistant to anything bad about the founding fathers because they can't get it in their head 
at the same time that these men could have like done some really, really good things and done some really, really crappy things all at the same time. And the version of it they learned in high school was different. And that does not mean that their high school teacher was actively lying to them. It means that history has nuance and we have to learn that nuance as we get older. We have to go through it. Some of it's not appropriate for a third grader. And so the story will change as you get older because you learn different pieces of it and different parts of it. Cass, Cass, they did it. Did, wait, what now? They did it. They, they finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun. They did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, says who? Says Raygun. Oh, okay. I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. It's, well, I wouldn't say it's easier to change math and science because a lot of people were <laughs> murdered for being heretics. So maybe talk to Galileo before I mean, you the say earth it's is easy. straight up flat. It's fine. <laughs> but history itself is storytelling it's narrative building and it is branding like it really mm -hmm. is natalie's talked about how she would have loved to studied abroad and studied american history abroad because oh, yeah. even if it's not like fuck those americans even if it's not that it's going to be a completely different context it may be more unbiased and you know like completely neutral whereas even the most neutral telling of our history in america is still gonna have that underdog hero yep. light to it. And does that change what actually happened in history? Maybe not if people are teaching it correctly, but it changes everything now and how we move forward from history. I feel like I was kind of taught about the civil rights movement that like mm -hmm. Martin Luther King fixed everything and now we're fine. And yep. then getting out of that bubble and being like, well, you guys, what's What's all this racism doing over here? I thought we I thought we cleaned that up. I thought, yeah, I thought we swept that up. <laughs> Are we not we're not good. We're not cool. It's, and you know, I talked about this with a friend recently that it's um harder I think for people who and maybe it's people my age too, but people especially like my parents' age in their 60s, 70s and they learned about the civil rights movement and they lived through some of it and so they have this idea that like it is fixed because racism means those huge things. And so the nuance is just gone because everything was at this super high level. People were being lynched, people were being segregated. And so now it's just like the ability to comprehend those smaller things is just too much. Well, and more of a realization that the smaller things are almost just as important as the yeah. big things. That if we keep perpetuating these tiny little small things of, you yeah. know, uh, verbiage pronouns all that stuff if we keep using them the way they are then people's perceptions stay certain ways exactly well, like if you sew the whole yeah. shirt and you don't put the buttons on you have a shirt but it doesn't work or it does and it's fabulous we just need a, <laughs> a fan and and maybe you know some backup dancers and maybe some body oil <laughs> Well, Always. but also, but also like the, the, and it's an, it's a conversation about nuance again, like the things that, that you said of like, oh, well, like people aren't being lynched. People aren't being segregated. They are, they're just called different things now. Yeah, exactly. Like we're just not calling it that and it isn't being covered in the same way. 
and we've created more formalized structures using different vernacular yeah with which exactly. to achieve them mm-hmm. but it's yeah it's that it's that I th- that's what i always think is really interesting is whenever we cover something or whenever i learn something where it's where it is like i thought that this thing happened once or this thing ended and then it's like finding finding the pattern and it's it's a language thing again of finding mm-hmm. the pattern and the context and how linguistically something shifted and might mean something else today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, we have to look at, you know, the way that stories have been utilized over time. So, you know, for this one, for example, if we go back and look at our sources from the perspective that the church has used this as a morality tale to consolidate power, then that changes the validity of a lot of sources. You know, we have It'll, to Yeah, and at, it's going to yeah. color everything that you read. Exactly. And, you know, it's similar with when we talk about... Um, you know, the first pilgrims coming to the U.S., we see them as these, you know, freedom seekers and these people who just wanted to, like, live in the world. And then you look at it from the perspective in Europe and it's like, okay, they were a bunch of heretics and we kicked them out. Yeah. It's and then totally you look at them different. from the perspective of the native peoples and the lands that they landed on. And yeah. they're like, it's like we y'all do- don't know how to survive. Yeah, I'll help you build a fire. Okay. Oh, and now you're oh, going to give me killing? some for We're the killing. Cool. Okay. cool, cool, cool. Try to help. Try to be cool. <laughs> You guys brought a crappy hostess gift, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I have I have researched some of those topics and then realized that there's asterisks involved. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it. But the part that interested me was probably something that telling those asterisk stories, quote unquote, like whether or not there was an army of children and they made it to the ships or whatever, it's being told for a specific reason mm-hmm. and it's being either mistold or we learned about it the wrong way because of a, a mistranslation and sometimes learning those things and being like hey y'all this either a didn't actually happen b didn't actually happen the way we thought it did or c like kind of happened and we're using it for this purpose now like that's exactly. that's really important to learn yeah. it's pr- sometimes more important to learn than like what a fun story. Yeah. Hadrian crossed the Alps at this year. Like, yeah. And if we think of it, you know, this in particular has to do with religion. Like, it leads to whole splits in churches because there are some people that treat Bible stories as parables that are lessons and some people that treat them as absolute facts that had to happen exactly the way it did. The earth is 6,000 years old and I won't hear anything else. Do you think Martin Luther nailed that papal bull to the church of his 95 theses and I was like, I'm going to die on this hill. We break it up. Let's go. And then he was just like perusing the Bible one day. And he's like, oh, ooh. oh, no, I think I read that wrong. All right, guys. It's all right. We're just going to go with it. I feel like, you know, when you're in a time period where having such a strong opinion really, truly is literally a hill to die on. Like, you just like you make your stand and then you leave it up to the next person to disagree with you. Well, yeah. and it was just such like. I will say dark ages everywhere because there's even the golden age of the Middle East when they're like literally inventing math and science and all these amazing feats. Mm -hmm. There's still so much that humans don't know just because of the nature of humanity. We don't know what the fuck's out there still today. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And with so much darkness and, and question out there, it's so easy and it to hold on to that, you know? 
uh, there's a kind of this bizarre claim or I think this like I need to believe in this. I need to go all in on this because yeah. I don't know what else is that. Right. We better. don't know anything else. So we it's might as well nihilistic. know this. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, it's interesting going along as we learn more about the Middle Ages. Like we our image of them is not that accurate. Like it's people weren't, you know, just, you know, disgusting and dirty and living, you know, two year lives and but there are so few sources, it's really hard to tell. Like, you'll find something that says that, you know, oh, well, you know, these people were bathing every day. And then you hear that, you know, they bathe once a year and they smelled horrible. And even at those tiny details, we're not really sure what's true. I also think what's like to what Cass was saying of like finding the stories with the asterisk and then being like, no, that just made me like even more interested because now I'm now I'm, now I'm a detective. Uh, but also... <laughs> Those stories having those asterisks means that they're still being studied. We're still mm -hmm. learning about it. We're still just finding things like s some, I don't know, like class, like classicist or something found, saw, saw that one word and went, um, actually this could have, could, we think this means children, but like, here's this other thing and this other thing. And now I'm connecting all the strings of yarn and this could mean a class like this exactly. could be for a class structure and like that's so interesting because like you were saying we don't necessarily think about the way that our that studying and learning history evolves like it is still it is still a moving target just because it already happened and where we cannot change what has happened doesn't mean that we aren't still learning from learning new things from it learning discovering how maybe this story was told this way because they weaponized this story like the church weaponized in your in the case of the children's crusades the church basically weaponized the story mm -hmm. that's and and i think those asterisks are what help us compare history to our lives and make it all feel a lot more human you know i mentioned earlier there is um a children's civil rights movement that is also called the children's crusade and when you think about these stories with those asterisks, thinking that, you know, may, maybe this was a people's movement, maybe this was expressing dissatisfaction with the way the church was handling an issue, it starts to relate really closely to children taking an interest in, you know, civil rights and thinking that, you know, their voices are not being heard and making a movement out of it. So it's, you start to see the way that these power structures, despite being wildly different in time and space, have a lot of similarities. And how children have just never had a voice historically. Yeah, and, and when you start seeing, like we did uh, Tinkerverse Des Moines, where it was a, a group of high school students who wanted to wear black armbands to protest mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. And then they took it to the Supreme Court and like the legal arguments they were using and they were looking into why don't these people have the rights? Like realizing that children don't have rights. There was one of the lawyers that said, um, children's rights end at the schoolyard gates of like, yeah. who's looking out for them just because they're like not of age, like everyone gets to tell them what to do and how to be like, it's kind of scary. It is. And it's, it's a constitutional issue that comes up a fair amount. I mean, there's been questions about whether um, the newspapers at high schools have freedom of the press or not. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what they decided, but I know the Supreme Court decided something on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my dad is a jokester and he's the kind of jokester that lands the joke and then never tells you it was a joke. So he told me when I was young that the Constitution doesn't apply to you until you're 18. And I believed that for a very long time. 
And now that I'm an attorney, I realize that he wasn't that wrong. Like, he really, you kind of take it piecemeal because other people have authority over you and that um, there's that balancing act between, you know, your safety as a child and your freedom. Yeah. Well, and that yeah. goes back to power as an adult. Like, we need, mm -hmm. in order to keep you guys safe, I can't keep my eyes on you all the time. Yes, uh, there is a camera in the television and I'm watching you. So just sit and watch this TV show and don't go do anything. Like, you tell kids things because you can't yeah. help them for all the things. But then it goes to a certain extent of like kids are like, well, I have to do everything that every adult tells me now. I have yeah. no choice. And mm -hmm. that gets a little dark. Yeah. yeah. This is, I know this is getting a little far afield, but it's, you know, I see this with my friends who are parents now who have young children. And there's been a real shift in the way that they ask kids to interact with people. You know, they don't say, go give grandma a hug. It's, do you want to give grandma a hug? Because when you're that little, it already starts getting in your head that if you have to give grandma a hug, even though you don't want to, your body is not your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it sucks to be a kid. <laughs> That's why and I it, choose not to anymore. You either die in a crusade or you don't get to write what you want in the high school newspaper. <laughs> and it really, it really sucks when all of your friends think that you're so cool. You're finally making friends on a schoolyard, talking about how God's talking to you. You're hot shit. You're like, let's go on this adventure. And you then brought your you, incense thing for show and tell. And then you can't part the sea. Always, always when you need to. Yeah. Right? Like he turned around to his friends. He's like, I swear this never happens. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on that I note. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Marie, thank you so much. Um, I just kind of, my jaw dropped right very early on um, in this episode of like, fuck, Marie is a nerd. And <laughs> like the yep. exact same kind of nerd as Natalie and I. And yeah, I think we just had three hosts on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're like, oh, we're going into this bit. Yes. Oh my God, we're diving into this bit. Let's do it. I thank you guys so much for having me. I really am a huge nerd over this stuff. I mean, I if you guys have heard of Horrible Histories, um, it's a set of books. Uh, they're British books. And then there's a TV series as well. Uh, my dad is British, so he would bring those over to us. And I was absolutely raised on these books that are like, let me tell you all the weird parts of history. So yes. I think it was just built into me from a young age. Um, one more thing I do have to tell you that is a, a Easter egg for Cass. <gasps> I did some digging and I can't find the books of either of them, but apparently at various points in time, there were two different musicals about the children's crusade. <gasps> one... will find them. So I found some old New York times articles. Uh, this one is from 1972 and it talks about a musical adaptation of the 1939 novel, our lives have just begun about the children's crusade. And it, it was supposed to be written by Yip Herberg, who was like a major, um, songwriter and Broadway guy who was caught up in uh, McCarthyism and like basically put out a favor because he was supposed to be a communist. And then Can the I other one, Yip Harburg sounds like one of the names Moira Rose says. <laughs> it really does. Yip Welcome Herberg. to Yip Harburg. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was another one that was children's theater and it was called the children's crusade in the eighties. And I cannot find any of the music from either of them, but I I'm want it so badly. Tickled by the idea it. of like a theater for young audiences piece about a bunch of children following their friend and dying. Yeah. Their, <laughs> their friend who talks to God. It's like Godspell or Jesus Christ Superstar, but the Saw version. What? 
where where was that touring production to my elementary school? Why didn't we all jo- get into the? Uh... Yeah, why are we doing Annie when we could be doing that? Yeah, where was that in the gymnatorium? <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. Our crusade is a it's great, a great crusade. crusade. Don't miss it. Don't even be late. Uh... That, yes, yes. So many drinks need to be taken. We, we did musicals. We referenced teachers. Uh, we there sang. was an asterisk. There was the an story. asterisk. What, what beauty, what beauty you have shared with us today, Marie. <laughs> hey, Marie, if, uh, if our listeners wanted to like find you, find you and follow you on the social medias, how would they do that? Yeah, um, I am at a Marie Salter on Instagram and I I think I'm um, a problem cult or a problem like Marie on TikTok. <gasps> I respect this. Oh my god! <laughs> and, and we then, made a sound of music reference earlier. It's perfect. Yep, it's always it's all coming full circle. Um, and then you know when the world is open again, um, I do improv and sketch comedy. I coach and I direct, so people can find me for that. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, as always, you can find us on the social meds at SharedPod on Instagram and Twitter. We share uh, little visual aids to support the stories. We will definitely be looking for clips from this music, these musicals. <laughs> and if we find them, if we find them, we we do have a YouTube channel. We basically just use it to share things that we reference in season. So we have a playlist for each season that we build as we go with videos that either we reference in our topics or that we reference in our tangents. So (laughs) definitely recommend finding uh, Shared History Podcast on YouTube as well if you're ever curious about a video that we mentioned because that is the best way to find that. As always, you can send any questions, corrections, or suggestions to us on the emails at uh, sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We will lovingly read and respond, even if it's a correction. We welcome them. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I don't know how we've been telling you for, for so many episodes. We are not historians. <laughs> That's why we bring on people who studied American history <laughs> to tell a story future. from European history. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we cover our bases. (laughs) But that is all she wrote for today, folks. We will see you next time. And until then, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.